When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast. Each week, I focus on topics related to mental health and discuss ways to help you deal with issues like anxiety, depression, shame, guilt, PTSD, and more. I've spent the last 30 years researching the mind-brain connection and mental health. I worked with patients who suffered from traumatic brain injuries, struggled with anxiety, battled with learning issues, and often worked with families to resolve major relationship and communication problems. In this podcast, you will hear the advice I gave to my patients and the techniques I developed and used to help them find healing. My goal is to give you simple, effective and practical tips and tools to help you take back control over your mental, emotional and physical health. Before I begin today's discussion, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has supported this podcast, either by leaving a review, spreading the word, sharing episodes with friends and family, and posting about this podcast on social media. I love reading your reviews and learning how I can make this podcast even more helpful. Now back to today's podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to walk you through four tips to drastically reduce and manage anxiety in your life. Anxiety is a signal, it's not an illness. Anxiety is a reaction, it's not a disease. Anxiety is telling you that something's going on in your life that needs attention. It's not some neuropsychiatric brain disorder. We've had so much misinformation around the word anxiety that it's actually made people more anxious where anxiety is actually a great teacher. Anxiety provides the opportunity for change because it provides the signal for what's actually wrong and what needs to be addressed and what could be in the future. We all know that life's an organic process, an ongoing series of events, many challenging, and anxiety can be one of our greatest teachers to manage this. Yes, it is uncomfortable. Yes, it's not nice to experience anxiety. And yes, it does need to be addressed and resolved. But we need to learn to make moments and periods of anxiety as opportunities to grow and mature and discover more about yourself. And also to use these moments to build up stress resilience and tolerance to adversity. Shying away from anxiety will only make it worse. Facing it will actually increase your stress resilience and change how your brain functions. So. Here are four tips that will drastically help you reduce and manage anxiety. I've been using these for years and I tell you they are a go-to and really worthwhile learning how to do. First thing is we need to embrace the feeling of anxiety. In today's society, we are encouraged to suppress and not embrace. Suppressing is not going to deal with the issue. When you suppress something, it just gets bigger because it hasn't gone away. And if it's toxic, it's damaging the brain. 
When you embrace something, what you're doing is you acknowledging that it's there and then you're doing something almost weird, but you're celebrating that you found it. And the reason that you're celebrating that you've acknowledged this is that as soon as, you, as, soon as you're aware of something, it actually weakens the memory. It weakens that toxic thought. It weakens the underlying cause. When you suppress it, instead of embracing and acknowledging it, it gets stronger. So acknowledging weakens it physically inside the structures of the brain and in the mind, but suppressing strengthens it. So something that becomes stronger is going to have more control over you, whereas something that weakens, you have control over. And a lot of anxiety is related to the feelings of lack of control and unpredictability over situations. So acknowledgement is a very, embracing and acknowledging is a very important first step. Anxiety is also very much part of the human condition. All of us experience anxiety. No one's exempt from it. It's not some weird illness that only applies to certain people. It is part of everyday living. It's part of being alive. You're not mentally ill if you have anxiety. Sure, it can feel like your mind's like you're losing it when anxiety gets the better of you and you keep thinking about it. Because whatever you think about grows and whatever grows in a viral fashion. And unfortunately, anxiety, if you keep thinking about the keep staying in that state, it can grow and affect all areas of your life. But by acknowledging that, even if you feel like that, by acknowledging through embracing, you've started the first step in weakening the anxiety's hold over you. When you embrace, you're bringing it into conscious awareness. So you're moving it from the non-conscious mind, which is very dynamic and very active and active 24-7, but you can't really see it because or you can't feel it because it's in your non-conscious mind. But by embracing it, you bring it into conscious awareness. Research shows that as soon as you're aware of something, the little physical bonds in your brain that are holding the information in these little physical protein bonds, they're like little quantum neurobiological computers, they get weakened. And as soon as something's weakened, it can be changed. The more you face it, the weaker the bonds get. And as soon as the bonds get weak, the energy is being removed from them and they just start breaking. So the power of that toxic cause is getting weaker and weaker through the acknowledgement. So the embracing is a preparation for change. Remember, embrace prepares you for change and weakens. Never suppress because it's not going to go away. I've trained myself to embrace anxiety. So now I conquer it and I make it work to my advantage. For example, at the moment I'm running a very complex clinical trial and it's very involved and there are many opportunities for me to get anxious about the different working parts of this clinical trial. But every time that I feel a bit of anxiety, I immediately know what it is. It's telling me that there's something underlying that's causing the anxiety and I immediately embrace it to find the solution. So what does this mean that I embrace it? I actually stop and I, I, become, I become very reflective about how I'm physically feeling because very often an anxiety moment will hit you physically first because your body's got all these discomfort zones and it's rea- your body's reacting to what's going on in your mind. So I stop and I actually acknowledge how I'm feeling, that beating heart or that sudden rush of adrenaline through my stomach. And I don't ignore it. I immediately, I'll stop, I'll acknowledge, and then I'll say to myself, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I say that, literally say those words, why? You know, and so I need to find the reason. So I don't just push it aside. I embrace it. Okay, I'm feeling, I say it to myself. So I acknowledge the feeling in my body. I acknowledge the heart beating. 
which then takes me into the second thing that I do, which is the second tip, and that's the timing. I, I ask myself immediately, okay, this I've acknowledged, I feel anxious, I'm acknowledging my body reaction, and now I have to make a decision. Is this the time right now for me to spend the time looking for the source of my anxiety or am I busy with something else and I'm going to do this later on? So I don't just ignore it or suppress it or gloss over it because once you've acknowledged something, you need to do something and timing is the next step. If I'm busy in a meeting and I don't have time to deal with this right now, I'll just quickly make a note to myself either on my computer or on my phone or jot it down next to me, sort out this anxiety, anxious feeling related to clinical trial or whatever it may be. I'll, give my, I'll just make a quick little note. So I, then I literally, if I have the time, I set a meeting with myself to solve it. So I may put a little time and a note, a reminder on my phone or a little note in my calendar, but I make sure that within 24 hours, I don't let it go longer. Within a 24 hour period, I will address this feeling of anxiety related to in the situation, the clinical trial or whatever it may be. So timing is the second point. Set a meeting with yourself to solve. If you have time now, like if I am free at that moment and I've got the time to do it now, I'll take the time. I'll take the few minutes that it takes to actually sit sit down and work out, okay, I'm feeling anxious about the clinical trial. What is the process? So timing is the second tip. Timing is the decision. Do I deal with this now? Yes. Start dealing with it. And that's going to be steps three and four. If not, I actually make a meeting. I set a meeting with myself to solve it within the next 24 hours. So I'm very proactive. It's a, and this timing is a very proactive, action-oriented step that gives you a sense of control back. It also means you need to intentionally determine not to let the anxiety affect what you're doing right now. And that does take practice because anxiety is like a virus. If you let it consume you in the moment, it will consume you. It just won't stop consuming you. So By setting this timing, okay, I can't do it now, I'm going to do it later, I make a note, set the time in my phone, do whatever, I've got time to do at that moment, I immediately get a sense of control back. I feel proactive, I feel like, okay, I know there's something going on, but I'm going to do something about it. And I've trained myself to then compartmentalize, to put that aside and to focus back on the now moment. And I discipline and intentionally discipline myself not to let that anxiety invade and pervade what I'm doing in that in that moment. So that's part of the timing process. And then that leads to the third step, which is doing a mental autopsy of the anxiety to find or solve, to find the route to solve it, and then to reconceptualize it, redesign it, make it manageable in other words. So let's say that I'm doing it now. That means that I'm my timing in terms of step number two, the timing. If I've got the time to solve it right now, then I'm going to move straight into my mental autopsy. If I've set a time to do it this evening or tomorrow morning, sometime within the next 24 hours, that's when I'll do the mental autopsy. Sometimes when I'm in the studio all day recording podcasts or on the go traveling to conferences, I find I need something to help boost my energy and help me focus. That's why I love Four Sigmatic Coffee and Blends. Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks that benefit our immunity, energy, and longevity and help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. My current go-to is the coffee with lion's mane because it's the perfect kickstart to my morning and helps power me through a long workday and travel. 
Lion's Mane is your brain's best friend. The coffee is made with 100% organic Arabica beans and does not taste like mushrooms. It's also very, very easy to make. I simply add hot water and sometimes a bit of coconut oil for a more creamier dessert-like drink. Get 15% off your Four Sigmatic purchase today when you go to foursigmatic.com slash drleaf or use the discount code drleaf at checkout. That is D-R-L-E-A-F. Before we continue, I want to tell you about and invite you to my 2019 Mental Health Summit in Dallas, Texas, December 6 and 7. In this conference, you'll learn scientifically researched mental self-care techniques to help you overcome mental ill health, help others and help your community. You will not only gain more knowledge about the current problems in mental health care, but also about real long-term sustainable solutions and how to apply these solutions in your own life and in your community. In this summit, you will learn how to overcome mental health issues like anxiety and depression, learn how to help children and teens, learn correct nutrition and exercise to boost your mental health, learn how to identify and define your unique identity based on neuroscientific research learn how to improve memory, learn how to help family members and loved ones who struggle with mental ill health, learn how to avoid burnout and manage stress, learn how to deal with disappointment, learn how to overcome intrusive and chaotic thinking, and so much more. For more information and to register, go to drleafconference.com. So the mental autopsy is done according to the timing of step two. The purpose of the mental autopsy is to solve or to find the root of why you're feeling anxious. Now, it's not necessarily going to be found in that this exact moment, because sometimes it does take a little bit of time, depending on how big the, the issue is. And very often from experience, I have found that if I'm anxious about something and it seems to be a consistent pattern, then that's got quite a lot of branches involved in that anxiety or things associated with it. So there's a root cause and then there's things that are associated with it. Very seldom is something just something in isolation. Things are complex. Life is complex and, and thoughts are complex and reasons for anxiety are complex. So to this end, the mental autopsy is a process and it's going to take you around about 21 days to really find all the, 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 full, the full root and all the associated branches and triggers and, and things that are, that are linked to this particular cause. It's going to take you that time. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get benefit in the, first, in the first 24 hours. You definitely will. Just the mere process of starting your mental autopsy is going to start giving you insight. And that's great because insight is something that leads to wisdom and wisdom does come over time. So essentially the mental autopsy process will take you around about 21 days to really get to the root of the issue and really reconceptualize and get a game plan going forward. And also it doesn't take that long. I recommend 7 to 16 minutes a day. That's pretty much what I spend on something like this. So uh, to this end, I have developed a, this process, a five-step process. It's in my um, several of my books. And we've also just recently released an app called Switch. The link is in the show notes where I walk you through these five steps. And all you do is insert what you're trying to solve into those five steps. 
Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about what a mental autopsy is and how you use these five steps. Basically, you start the mental autopsy by taking what you have acknowledged. So step number one was to embrace the anxiety and acknowledge that it's there. But now you are acknowledging in more detail. You're starting to add a description. So in this mental autopsy, in this first step, you are acknowledging in more depth. You're adding more details in progressive baby steps to the issue. So in terms of the clinical trial, let me give you an example. As I start my mental autopsy, so I get this burst of anxiety, I decide I can work on it now because I've got the time now. And I start acknowledging, okay, I'm feeling anxious about the clinical trial. That's broad. Now I must get more detailed. I'm feeling anxious about the clinical trial because it's about to start and there's a lot of things and um, things that still need to be done. And have I done all of them? And so I'm acknowledging that there is the, the, the issue here in this particular case is that I've got lots to still do and I feel like I'm running out of time and that's making me anxious. So then I move to the second part of the mental autopsy, which is I now need to contemplatively think through in a very focused problem-solving way using why questions about why am, I, why am I feeling like this and get solutions to them. So the second step is to do to start getting into the why questions. It's a contemplative, focused, problem-solving type thinking. Why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling rushed? Is it, do I really need to feel rushed? What are the problems? And as I'm doing that, I start capturing my insights by writing them down. And as I'm writing them down, I can then look at the patterns of what I'm writing down and maybe get some order and say, okay, this is point number one. And actually there's six things and I need to do this first and that second and that third. And I've got this amount of time. So I start getting order and patterns into this. So step three in the mental autopsy is writing. You're capturing your insights by writing, which allows you to see what you're thinking, which is so powerful. When you see what you're thinking, it's so much easier to do step four of the mental autopsy, which is to find the patterns and to bring some order out of the potential chaos to see, okay, well, there's seven things I have to do. They have to be done by, by X date. This is what I can do first. I can do this today. I can do this tomorrow. I can, and you start getting a nice order. So step number three is write it down to see it. Step number four in the mental autopsy is find the patterns. So essentially what you're doing in step four when you're finding the patterns is you're editing what you've written. You are getting into a plan of action, which then leads you to step five of the mental autopsy, which is an action step. You're looking at this new perspective, which is, okay, I've got six things to do. I've got to do them in the next four days. This is the first thing. This is how I'm going to do it. This is the second thing. This is how I'm going to do it. So now what you've done by the time you've reached this fifth step of the mental autopsy is you've reconceptualized that nagging anxiety that was making you feel sick into a reason with a plan. So you've now got the reason it was you felt there were, in my case, I felt I didn't have enough time. And my plan is actually I do have enough time. I've got six things to do and this is what I'm going to do. So I've reconceptualized the anxiety. I've grown. I've moved forward. I've become proactive. I'm back in control. And now I can actually do this. So in reconceptualizing this anxiety into a constructive step-by-step -step action, I've really grown. And I've learned how to make the stress work for me and not against me. I've got insight and wisdom. So the signal of the anxiety helped me to grow and get more wisdom about how to manage stress. And specifically, I got insight and wisdom into how to manage the current situation. 
So my anxiety was no longer there. I now had something constructive to do. I learned, I grew. The next tip and the last tip in managing anxiety is once you've got this pattern, once you've got this action step in place, is to imagine yourself in the future. Imagine yourself in the future, functioning in the solution that you reconceptualize in the mental autopsy. The process of imagination creates actual physical networks in the brain and it strengthens the ones that you would have just built in the mental autopsy with the solution. When you do this in a, in, in a positive way, taking advantage of the optimism design of our brain, we develop a possibilities mindset. And a possibilities mindset helps us to see all the opportunities. So it opens your mind to, okay, well, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to manage this. But you also start developing the, the ability to see, well, if that doesn't work out, then there are other possibilities as well. Because very often we can develop more anxiety when we think, oh gosh, that was my plan, but it didn't work out. So I've just spoken about having creating a little plan to manage my anxiety about my clinical trial. But let's say that now I'm in the process of carrying that out and it doesn't quite work out in the way that I wrote it down. Because I have imagined myself in the future where all these steps have been completed or these steps have been carried out, suddenly my mind opens and if it doesn't work out exactly that way, I'm not thrown. I'm not going to get more anxious. I'm actually going to run with, okay, well, that didn't work. Let me try something else. So I become much more open to looking at different ways of doing, achieving my goal. I talk a lot about the possibilities mindset in my book, Think, Learn, Succeed, if you want to find out more and understand more about how to develop a possibilities mindset. So imagination is a process that builds your newly reconceptualized thought structure that you worked out in your mental autopsy, and it helps you to connect how you're feeling at the moment and the future. It kind of connects with you imagining yourself in the future. So it connects where you're at now and you get a vision of the future. So it makes the solution to the anxiety more real and more accessible. So instead of just making the plan, you actually imagine yourself in the plan, carrying out the plan. Imagine yourself in the moment as though you're creating a story. Imagine yourself solving that work problem. Imagine yourself applying, applying what, you, what you did in the mental autopsy in that work situation. Maybe it was a family problem that you're dealing with or a family crisis or a financial crisis or whatever it is that you're facing. Imagine yourself in that situation with that solution that you have started working out. See yourself going through that. How do you feel? Stop and ask yourself as you're imagining, how do you feel as this solution is playing out? Imagine yourself in that moment as though it's resolved. It's almost as though you're imagining yourself across the finish line. You've run the race. You're at the finish line. You're on the other side of the finish line. Imagine yourself there. So so you are focusing on the future. And by focusing on the future, research shows that it actually changes how we manage the present. So the future changes the present. Now, in in quantum physics, we call this retroactive causation, and and they've actually done very interesting research studies showing how the future can change the present, the future can change the past, and it's through this power of imagination. It's through seeing yourself at the finish line and focusing on how do I feel. It changes your brain structures. It makes them more open-ended, which then enables you in your mind to see more possibilities. 
So if it doesn't work out exactly the way you're imagining now, you've already changed the present by doing this process. Research was actually done where they taught people how people that weren't saving, people that were, you know, when you're very young, you don't imagine yourself being old and you don't imagine yourself retired. And as you're in the midst of your developing your career, you live very much for the now moment. And in general, people don't save enough. And they did a research study where they showed how telling, helping people to imagine themselves old and seeing themselves old, even if, even using that app that you can play with on your phone where you can make yourself look old and you look at yourself old and then imagine what kind of lifestyle you want. How would you feel? How do you feel in the future? And what they found was that in that, that process changed the current person's, the, the person's current attitude and um, perspective on saving and increased the amount of savings and the way that they were planning for the future. So in sum, these four tips will build resilience in helping you manage anxiety. They'll actually activate genetic switches in the hippocampus. Your whole brain responds. Remember, your mind and your brain are separate. Your mind works through your brain. Your brain responds to your mind. So whatever you're doing in your mind, and, and these four steps are mind steps. Whatever you're doing in your mind is causing a response in your brain. But when it's a very when you do these very proactive steps that I've just described, you basically these proactive, you apply these proactive tips. You are activating a genetic switch in your hippocampus, which will increase your resilience and your ability to deal with the, the anxiety and to find the solutions. Basically, the hippocampus is very active as we process information and as we change it from short to long to memory. And that's why it's so very important that we do have proactive, positive ways of managing things like anxiety so that our brain can literally be trained to work for us and not against us. So you can almost train yourself to be a proactive anxiety manager by embracing, planning your timing, doing a mental autopsy, and imagining yourself in the future. These four steps will help you embrace anxiety and move forward instead of being consumed by it and dragged backwards. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf.